0: This morning, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to go ahead and be turning with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, there in the New Testament, just after the book of John and before the book of Romans. So again, we encourage you to make your way there to Acts chapter 6. If you have been with us, we have been walking through these marks or characteristics of a healthy church and preparing us for the season that is to come. And we've talked about the importance of expository preaching, of preaching God's word, it's promising of preaching that word. We've talked about the importance of what it looks like to have this biblical theology of understanding what the Bible's doing from Genesis to Revelation, this big picture of what God is doing and redeeming and restoring mankind back to himself. And And we talk through what is biblical conversion and evangelism and how those impact what the church looks like and discuss things like church discipline and church membership. And today we come ready to talk about another issue that's vital to the church, church leadership. When we think about church leadership, there are many passages that we might turn to, some that define characteristics of what it looks like. Mark mentioned those some last week, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Ephesians 4 talks about how God gave different gifts to the church, and there's these different people and different roles that are functioning. But I think there's a unique passage that seems to play in Acts chapter 6, showing us the work of what might be the work of pastors, elders, and that of deacons, and the congregation as a whole, that I think is instructive. And so this morning, again, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to read Acts chapter 6. I'm actually going to begin in verse 42 of Acts chapter 5. So the last verse of Acts 5, and then the first seven verses of Acts 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. So every day the gospel was being preached. The church was on mission. They were working together to get the the good news to the people. Right? They wanted the people to know that they're the, savior, the, the Savior, the Messiah, had come. And in many ways, that's our aim, isn't it? As a church, we long that we want the people of Greene County, we want the nation of, of the United States, and we want the nations as a whole to hear and know this blessed gospel. But often what happens in the midst of striving to proclaim the gospel, the church begins to have problems. That's exactly what happens here. I mean, this isn't the first of their problems. I mean, if you look in Acts 5, I mean, there was the moment where there's these line and things that are happening. And literally, God strikes some dead in the church. And soon after, there's more persecution, just like there have been persecution in chapters 3 and 4. But in the midst of all of these moments of difficulty and challenge, the church is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to move forward with its mission, and it's a reminder That how the church responds to threats to its mission is vital for how it will look going forward. It's important for us to tune in because we're going to see here that the name of Christ, as it's being proclaimed, it's going to experience obstacles and challenges and difficulties. Not only without, but even within the church. And we'll have to come together as a church to make sure our mission moves forwards and not backwards. You see... The church on a mission, it's going to constantly experience difficulties and hardships. But if we trust Christ, if we work together, the mission that God has given us is unstoppable. Why? Because the Savior who stands behind us says, I have all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I say that, why? Because this text, it seems to have this this simplifying way of clarifying what the church is to look like what leadership is to look like and what leadership is to be doing it might even sting a little as we consider maybe ways in which we have failed maybe that's in the past or even ongoing and things that we need to get right as we look at this today this this setting seems that uh, this story seems to follow a, a simple a simple plot line if you if you've been with us on wednesday nights one of the things we strive for is to help us say, how can we read and study God's Word better? And one of the things we do when we come to God's Word so often is is that we treat it unlike any other book. Now, now again, it is unlike any other book, right? It's God's Word. It's unique. It stands alone. But so often we read it like we wouldn't read another book, like no other book you would just start in chapter 6 or 7. At least I wouldn't think you would. And then the next day you might jump to chapter 12, and you're like, man, this story doesn't make sense at all. Well, of course not. There's some linear thought that's happening. Well, guess what? It's the same way in this story. When you read Acts 6, you, you get the setting, and then you see this problem. And then this moment, when things start to reach toward a climax, like what will, how will they resolve this tension? And finally the tension is resolved, and then there's this, this resolution, like what happens as a result? And so again, Acts 6, as you read God's Word, I want to encourage you to begin studying and thinking through as you read the Word. That it often shows you what the text is pointing to, where the text is trying to draw your attention to. So let's begin there the setting. Notice what it says in verse 6 now, in these days, in these days. Right, the days soon after the day of Pentecost, right? Remember Christ, He was crucified on the Friday, buried on Sunday, He was raised again. It says that He was seen and believed upon for a period of 40 days. And then 10 days after Christ or ascends back to the Father, the day of Pentecost comes. And the Holy Spirit comes. And, and the Spirit of God begins to give new birth. And the church is growing. And all of these things are happening. Miracles are taking place. And and listen, it says, now in these days, in the midst of this, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Again, these days of seeing—look at again when the disciples were increasing in number. Isn't that what we long for? We long to see this, don't we? I mean, I think Brother Todd echoed it this morning. We were praying together, like Lord, we've been praying for years upon years that we might see Your Spirit just revive our people more and more. We might see the work of God. We're longing to see this continued. I want to encourage you, but also like I want to bring you in. If you're not like, we're burdened when we don't see these things happening. It should burden our hearts when we're not seeing people in this community saved and rescued from eternal hell. I, I was having that conversation with someone close to me just the other day. Like we're we're talking about sin and and. The temptation can be just to minimize it. And I was like, buddy, listen. It's no small thing what you've done. I mean, you may think it's just something simple you did against your brother. But don't you realize, man, that our sin separates us from our holy God. That your sin will separate you from God. It separates you, buddy, from God forever. Mommy, I want to be with you eternally. We long for you to be with us. But your sin, it, it separates you. Guys, it's it's no small thing. When we see our sin, we long to see brothers and sisters, those we love and care about, don't you, in your own family, born again? We want to see this. So in these days, when disciples were increasing in number, we might wonder, well, why were they increasing in number? Look back at verse 42 of Acts 5. And every day in the temple and from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Guys, we're almost 2,000 years after these events. God's playbook hasn't changed. God's design to build the church is still to share the gospel. It is still to share this word in the church, yes, but also from house to house. And again, that was part of it. As you heard this morning, those parents, that charge came to them Brother Todd was saying, listen, it's your call. It's your responsibility. God has given you these children to steward for these days, to show them the truth of this glorious gospel. I wonder, have you forgotten that charge? Have you gotten distracted from that charge? Maybe today, as you heard it there, right? Again, I think that's one of the beautiful things when we see baptism, right? It's a reminder to all of our souls. Oh, yes. That Savior whom they are entrusting, that's my Savior. Their hope is my hope. That is what is happening here. That's what we long for, right? To, to see this happening. Daily gathering, right? They, they look what it says there in verse 42. Not ceasing to teach and preach that the Christ is Jesus. As Acts 4 has been already telling us. That salvation is found in no one else. He says, for there's no other name under heaven given to all people by which they must be saved. This is the work of the gospel. This is what's happening again. So this setting is taking place. But again, in the midst of this setting of the gospel being taught, the church growing, a serious problem begins to develop. Look what he says again. In the midst of these days, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, again, just a couple of things here. If you have a study Bible, you may have a, a footnote, a marker, right? The Hellenists are just Greek-speaking Jews, okay? And when you speak about the Hebrews, those are who spoke Aramaic. And so here's what's happening, right? The Hebrew Jews, the Hebrew, they are those who have lived inside of Jerusalem, Palestine, right? They have grown up there. They speak the language The Hellenists are Jews that have been dispersed from different places, have come in, likely many of them have come in for Pentecost. Now all these things have unfolded, many of them have stayed. And so the church is coming in, and some of these people, listen, they speak the language, some don't, right? And so there's this tension happening. It's likely here that, guess what, we don't know, but it's possible that it's an unintentional action on the church. These widows are being neglected in the daily distribution feud, maybe just in the midst of all the things growing and happening, they just, just don't see it. But again, there's this that word of neglect. Like, man, there, there seems to be, though, this need, this problem, and they're not handling it. And so this complaint, it, it, it arises. It comes about. And again, I think we can all understand, can't we? I mean, like, how do you feel when you feel left out? Overlooked? Unimportant? It hurts, doesn't it? Whether that's your friend at school or in your marriage. Maybe it hurts even worse when it's among God's people. I think it's something that many of us can identify with. We've heard your stories over the years. Some of you, maybe that's even why you're here today, because that heartache was so hard in another place that you've ended up here. Some of you have experienced such heartache in this place, and we've heard your stories that you're working continually to forgive those in this congregation who hurt and offended you. Those are no easy matters. Maybe some of you today, you're feeling the sting of this fresh and anew. Nobody wants to be forgotten or overlooked. I mean, I, I think about it with Pavey, right? I mean, it's, she has this little saying like, Mommy and Daddy, it's not tuck me in. She asks us, will you tuck me up? And so she, she gets in the bed and she wants to be tucked up. But what often happens is, is like, there's like these couple buddies that are left alone, like beside themselves. So, and she's like, well, we, we need that guy. And so I'm like, all right, let's get that guy. And they like, I'm trying to get out of the room. She's like, no, but Daddy, like, come on now. You, you know we can't leave George, right? We can't leave. And before you know it, man, they all have got to be in there. Why? Because there's this sense, like, you don't want to leave someone alone. Don't leave them behind. That, that's, there seems to be that tension here. How do you feel it today? Again, I don't know what area of life this clods this with you, specifically as we look at the church, like there's this, this happening. And let's be honest, like the church is the place you don't expect that to happen. Think about these widows. I mean, like, they, they live in this, this Greco-Roman world where, like, widows and orphans, I mean, because you hear James saying that, right? I mean, like, James 1.27. And some of you, man... Some of you are living that before eyes in unique ways, and we ought to thank God. That's part of the beauty of, the, of being in a, in a congregation, of seeing some in our, our church who have taken in orphans as their own. But James says, this is pure and faultless religion, my brothers and sisters, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Some of you today, maybe God might just press a little bit that way toward you, toward adoption, toward fostering. Maybe what you had hoped and planned that you might stand before a congregation somewhere like this today, and it hasn't happened. It's come back negative time and time again, or miscarriage after miscarriage, and you today feel a fresh sting. And that's not our heart for you to feel that, but maybe today might just be a reminder in the midst of this about this widows and the reminder of widows and orphans that God might just stir something fresh and anew in your heart. Toward adoption, toward fostering. Maybe you thought you were finished. Maybe you thought everything, hey, this is we got R4 and no more. Maybe you thought that was it. And now God might today just, just begin prying open that box a little bit. But again, these widows are here, and, and they might have thought like. Hey, this is what happens in the culture in which we live. Like People get overlooked and forgotten, especially people like us that are widows. But maybe they thought it would be different in the church. Maybe you've been there. You thought it would be different in the church. I'm sorry. But in the midst of this, this 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 tension that's rising from the text. The question starts to become like, well, what, what's going to happen? Like, will this conflict is it going to prevent the advancement of God's word? Is the mission going to be halted altogether? I mean, like, what will the church do to address this level of conflict? Like, are they going to continue their mission, or is this going to like hinder them and and derail them? Like, how will they handle this? And I think it's a reminder that, friend, in every church, there is going to be conflict and issues. It's the great Billy Graham who said, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. Because once you do, it won't be perfect anymore. And listen, in the midst of this, the question becomes, this is key, I think, to this text. It's not, will the church have conflict and issues? The question becomes, how will the church handle conflict and issues? That's going to determine their effectiveness. That's going to determine whether or not verse 7 comes about. That, that's, that's where it's headed. So let's see now how, how this church begins to handle the issue. Verses 2 to 4. Hear it again. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Good leadership is crucial when conflict arises. Notice what they do. It says there in verse, verse 2, And the twelve summon the full number of the disciples. So the, the twelve, again, representing the apostles. At this point, again, thinking about this, right? That the church is just there in Jerusalem. It hasn't spread out. We're going to go to that just in a minute. Mark was there last week in Acts 14 as the church was being planted in different places. But the twelve are still there, leading the church, giving direction to the church in Jerusalem. And so they summon the, summon the full number of disciples. In some ways, right, they're calling in all those who are members of the church. And they said, listen guys, it's, it's, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And I think this brings about maybe some tension, but also distinction the text is wanting to show us. And in some ways, this is why I landed on this text. I thought, man, this this shows some things, shines some light in some areas that I think is really helpful and instructive to our church. So when you think about different roles in the church, right, the the church is is throughout history understood that the Bible recognizes two offices, one of pastor or elder and that of deacon. You see, elders are, are... those are pastors or pastors are those who come behind the apostles. In Acts 15, 6, it says this. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. What starts to happen is, is right, the, the, as the apostles are going to step off the scene, God is going to begin to raise up pastors or elders to oversee the church. Right, Those words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd. I want to be really clear right here. Again, I think we've we've tried to, to, to work this angle, but I don't want you to be deceived in this church or as you look in any other place. There are no big A apostles today. I want to be really clear on that. Big A apostles had to see the resurrected Christ. Big A apostles are those who could speak, right, as the Holy Spirit carried them along, that they wrote the New Testament. There is no preacher, pope, pastor, brother, doctor, reverend that has that authority today. Do not be deceived. This word has been once and for all delivered unto the saints. Amen, church? That is crucial. So when I'm, I'm talking about this transition of role, I'm not saying that pastors now become the apostles. That's not what I'm after. But I think it is crucial that as we see the transition happening, as the apostles step off the scene, and as Mark showed us last week and in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, that Paul and those guys were appointing elders in every town. They were raising up these men. Who, passage again, like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, give clear instruction of what these men's lives are to look like. They're, they're passing the baton, so to speak. And the, again, their calling it is to preach and teach the Word. That's what he says here, right? It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God. Verse 4, he says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Again, I think it's trying to make a point. There's a role of elders and a role of deacons to find in the church. Think about this. Maybe this is a simple way. It's not new to me, right? I've heard it other places. I think it just fits well. Deacons lead by serving. Elders serve by leading. Think about that. It's, it's, a, it's a distinction. It may seem small, but I think it's helpful. Deacons lead by serving. Elders or pastors serve by leading. So deacons serve, elder, shepherd. That's not to say there's no overlap. Of course there is. But generally speaking, those are distinctions. I mean, the word deacon, which is actually used there in verse 2, look what he says there. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables. That's the word that's being used there in the Greek. He's saying, listen, that word, that's the general word for serve. And, And so when you think about that, like, well, how does that look in the church? Well, again, I've used this example, but I think it's so helpful. Right, like there was a time, man, when we were receiving so many benevolence requests day in and day out. It was overwhelming. I mean, like the phone would ring and someone would have a need and we begin thinking through how can we help this person? Can we help this person? What's their need? We may have to talk to LG&E or talk to the water company or figure this in and out. And we've had these phone calls. And before you know it, two hours of the day is gone. And then the phone rings again and something else starts. And what we began to soon find out is, man, we're neglecting to devote ourselves to prayer and minister the Word. And you know what God did? He raised up a deacon or deacons who began to help take care of that ministry. And it began to free us up. Now that when people call, we are able to hand off and say, hey, listen, brother, sister, we'll we'll pass your information along. And guess what? We can return back to doing that. That has been one of the prime examples I have seen in this church of how deacons can serve so well the body of Christ and to strengthen the elders or or the pastors to be able to do what God's called them to do. Again, as deacons, they take great pride in serving. Why is that? Because they recognized that it was their Savior who said, I did not come to serve, but what? I did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve. Yeah, I said it wrong, right? You were like, hey, that ain't right preach. Yeah, that's, hey, that's being a good church. Do you know that actually Galatians said that's part of your responsibility? That you are to make sure as a congregation that what you're hearing is actually the Word of God. That's the responsibility of the entire congregation. Yeah, it is. So again... Again, there's clearly the overlap uh, of roles at times. But again, these guys are serving tables. It, it might be in some way this, this serving tables also indicates to handle financial matters. And so again, we're going to see how crucial it is, their role. And But again, we think about elders, man. They serve by leading. We might ask, well, leading in what? We've already pointed to it some. But again, verse, verse 2 it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God. Verse 4, that we should devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word. That is the primary responsibility of elders or pastors or shepherds or overseers, right? Again, those different words are used. Again, this is the responsibility, the calling. And we might ask or push back a little bit and say, Man, don't the apostles love people? they too good to serve some tables, yo. Are they like in their ivory towers writing God's Word and too good to touch? Are they too good for the the common people? No. I think the reminder is they're expressing their love for the congregation. How are they doing that? By praying and preaching and teaching God's Word. So the roles are different. They're unique. But again, they're all serving in in their unique ways. I think maybe just a moment here might just transition and maybe just think through some things is, you think through the days and years ahead as you think through like deacons, right? Like, what does it mean, right? Notice what they said there. Therefore, brothers, right? Depending on your translation, the ESV says pick out. Some say choose, verse 3, from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of, and of wisdom, whom we will we'll appoint to this duty. So, again, notice, again, some of the things about deacons here. You have some characteristics. Now, it's interesting, right? I, maybe I should preface this. There's no clarity to say these are the first deacons. It's just been kind of one of those things that's thought throughout much of church history that this seems to be the prototype of deacons. This is maybe where they began. Again, we don't have the exact clarity from the word, but it seems to be this is the role in which they're beginning to serve and this is maybe where it began. But again, there is some discussion on that, so I want to be forthright with you. But notice what he says about them. Pick out from among you seven men, notice he first says, of good repute, of a godly character. Hear what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Notice what else he says to them. Again, not only be men of good repute, he says they are to be full of the Spirit. Now, again, we want to be clear here. We believe that all Christians are Spirit-filled, right? All Christians, all those who are truly born again have received the Spirit of God. But it seems to be that the apostles are saying there's something unique about these men, that they're walking in the Spirit, that when you look at their life, guess what you're seeing? You're seeing just on the ongoing basis, on the regular, you're seeing men of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is through the Spirit from Galatians 5, and 23. That's, that's what you see, these men. They're, they're walking in step with the Spirit, and just humbly as they live this life, God's Spirit just is bearing those fruits, and you see it. Notice what else he says, that there are also to be men full of wisdom. Ephesians 5 reminds us in 15 to 17, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so these men are just walking in obedience to the Lord. And you see them, they use their days well, they're stewarding time well. That's just, that's who their lives are. And so again, the church is said to look to them. But again, as we think about deacons, we also in this passage think about pastors or elders. Again, those qualities of 1 Timothy 3, if you look through 1 Timothy 3, guess what, there's a lot of parallels between what the deacon is to look like and what the elder is to look like. And you know what the majority of the focus is? It's on their character. I think we must be careful that we don't think, hey, you know what, this person right here, man, if we give this guy this role, maybe he'll really start to get after it as a deacon. That's not the aim. Right? We shouldn't be putting people as a Sunday school teacher or any other role to think, man, if we give them that, then maybe then they'll start to really. No, we should see that already evidence ongoing and think, man, if they're doing that here already, let's get, look, look at, man, likely they're going to fit well in this role. But again, the character is what seems to be at the forefront, looking at their life. So again, as you think about the pastor or the elder, the one quality that seems to separate themselves from the other is it says that the pastor or elder is able to teach. Paul tells Titus this, maybe a little bit more detail, in chapter 1, verse 9 of Titus 1. He says, the pastor, or the elder, must hold firm for the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. So there's a sense that it's not just a willingness to teach, but that God's given this man a skill, a a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 would seem to say, right, there's this gift of teaching that is there, and Guess what? Again, the primary way that a pastor, or elder shepherds the body is through this teaching and preaching of God's word, sharing it whether that's Sunday morning or Wednesday nights or, preach or sharing that word when 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 you again may meet with Todd or I in a one on one or have a conversation. These these are moments of shepherding. I had a buddy that that shared these questions to me back it was back during COVID actually and and thinking through that crazy time and he just said, hey brother, I know you're facing a lot. Maybe these are some things that you consider and encourage and. These are just questions that we as a church look for when we think about a pastor, the one who'll be preaching the word to us primarily and man, I think it's helpful this morning, hear this, just some good questions. It says, will this man be able to teach our people in a compelling way? Is he skilled enough to feed us regularly by teaching us God's word? Will our hearts soar regularly under his teaching God's word to us? Will he just not be, will he not just be willing but eager to rise to the occasion? to persuade our people away from error? Is he skilled enough as a teacher to lead and engage and inspire the people of our church to love God and His Word and fulfill the mission Christ calls to us in this community? Those are the kind of questions we'll be looking for and answering yes to as God begins to gift and strengthen. Again, some of you are seeing gifts of those who have the guilty to teach because you're seeing them in their Sunday school class and you're starting to encourage them. Hey, brother, right? we, we should be looking future opportunities for you. Again, there's just this working of God. So we have to ask, well, how will the church respond to this moment of conflict, right? The apostles have instructed them what to do. What will they do? Well, look what verse 5 and 6 begin to answer this. So again, they they tell them, choose seven men, right? And and these men, different characteristics. And verse 5 begins, and what they said, please the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So again, the apostles, right, the leadership of the church makes a proposal, but the church has the responsibility to look and choose from among them, these seven men. It's a pattern that we begin to see not only here, but throughout Scripture, that the pastor's And the deacons and the church body are working together as one. Do you see that? Each have their unique role to fulfill the mission of God. I mean, think about the Trinity, right? We think about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right? Each of them, right? There's one God, but three distinct persons. Each of them have their unique role and responsibility that they are to fulfill, None of us would go and say, "Well, man, God the Son's more important than God the Father, or God the Holy Spirit's less than God the Son." No, we just realize that. Guess what? They have unique responsibilities. It was God the Father who formed the plan of what redemption would look like. It was God the Son who who fulfilled that plan, right, and coming and giving His life. And it's God the Holy Spirit who brings forth that redemption unto us. It is this work of the Trinity, of of God, again, having these unique roles and responsibilities. Likewise, as a church, we're equal in value but distinct in our roles. An elder or a pastor that stands in this pulpit is no more valuable than anyone in the congregation. Nor is a deacon. We're equal in value but distinct in our roles. You can see that, right? And Again, our culture has distorted so many things, but that looks similar in your own home. Think about the practicality of it. I asked my kids just a few weeks back, I said, hey, man, when you get hurt or you get sick, who do you want? And they were kind of hesitant, but they were finally like, well, mom. I was like, of course. God's designed moms, right? He just created them in this unique way. I said, but man, if there comes a threat in the house, like, who do you expect to be at the front of the line? Well, I got a bad will, right? So that's a, I wasn't very imposing before. They're like, well, well you, dad, Why? Because God designed men differently, just physiologically. There's differences. Those are good things. Our culture can distort those and confuse those. Guys, in the same way that God has designed the church with different people and different gifts and different roles. But guys, he says that that ultimately is a way in which God works to unify us, not divide us. So what's going to happen as a result, again, of them handling this issue and the church responding and these seven men? Notice what the culmination comes to. Verse 7 And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Hallelujah! That the problem didn't derail the mission because they handled it rightly. Hmm. What a moment. I mean, that's that's just, that's it. Again, think about what's happening in the church. The preaching of the Word of God and teaching and prayer, it, it's central. The people are praying. They're looking to the Lord. They're looking at His characteristics. The body is coming. And man, when those things begin to align, there is a work of God happening. Man. Therefore, let's be a church that's aligned on our mission, right? Let us, as Brother Todd charged our parents right to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and strength they from deuteronomy 6 like let's love god that way let's love this community with such passion and humility that doesn't mean that we 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 waver on the truth of god's word absolutely not but let's go love them. Let's go be desperate for the nations. As we heard Tim and Sally remind us on Wednesday night of the work they're doing there in Honduras. Let's get behind that work. Let's, let's have joy in that work of partnering with those things. So again, pastors and elders are teaching and shepherding. The deacons are serving and helping oversee these different areas of ministry. And the church is being equipped by them to minister to one another and take the gospel To the community of the nations, to the unbeliever in the room this morning, would you just contemplate the final words of verse 7? And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That That is a word that you ought to ponder as an unbeliever. Priest, The guys whose responsibility it was to be a part of the worship, the guys who knew this Genesis, the Malachi, Old Testament, inside and out, you're telling me those guys, those guys need a faith? You're telling me that those guys' works and how good of a person they were, were not sufficient? Hear it again from God's Word. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, friend, you need to realize that God is holy. And because He is holy, it's not just about our outward good actions it's also about our inward heart. And our heart is, as Mark said, it's rebellious during his time of confession. like It's just this, this rebellious, rebellious heart that we have. And because of that, that sinful heart is in rebellion against God and His Word. But the truth and the good news of this Gospel is, is that God sent His only begotten Son who lived the life that we were called to live, who perfectly imaged God in every way, every thought, every motive, every action, every deed, perfectly. And therefore, He goes to the cross not dying for His own sin, but He goes as a substitute for us. He goes for us. Our sin, our shame, our regret, our our rebellion against God. He, the Lamb of God, goes and takes away the sin of the world. The question is, Will you humble yourself? I mean, can you imagine the priest? It would, have, You know how costly that would have been? You know what a pride they must have been to their family to be priest? And now they're publicly acknowledging that this scoundrel that was crucified on the cursed cross is actually the Messiah? But they realize that in Christ there is something you can get nowhere else and that is peace with God. That is forgiveness and redemption and cleansing of everything you've ever done. Unbeliever in this room. I pray, oh God, that you might become obedient to the faith just acknowledging that Christ is your only hope of salvation. Might it be you this morning? To the church. Man, when I think about things here again. Where we've been, we're so blessed for those that have come before us and how God has laid them, given us so many good examples to follow as we think about leadership. We may also need to acknowledge when we haven't always handled or got leadership or things right. You do what Mark said in 1 John 1, right? What John said there. We confess our sins. We get them right. I think it might be also an encouragement today, like where do we continue to go as church I think one of the things I would just encourage the church to consider as they look toward their horizon is bringing on more elders. Now, again, when you hear that and think through it, think back to our history. It depends on how long you've been with us. But, man, if you've been with us 15 plus years, then you remember names like Forrest Kelly. Forrest Kelly was an elder in this church. He wasn't recognized that way. But, man, when you think about that brother, he was one who gave oversight and direction Again, the church, I just want to encourage us to think through what would it look like to bring some of those men into the room who meet those qualifications to help give oversight and shepherding to the church. Again, there's going to be some that elders right of that group, they're going to have the primary responsibility to be preaching and teaching. They're going to be paid, and, and some aren't. And those are always contentious moments, but not if you find men of that level of character. I want to encourage the church just to begin thinking, praying about that word, elders. To look to the congregation and say, man, God, who have you placed before us and around us who meet these qualifications? And God, what might you want to do with them? I could say plenty more this morning, but I hope and pray that this word is an encouragement to us of what a church does when it faces issues and problems that God gave the church leadership. God gave the congregation a responsibility to be involved. And when these things align... The word of God is multiplying and spreading. That is good news, church. That is the hope of this gospel. It gives me joy to proclaim it to you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word and for what you have done and in and through your word, Lord. I thank you for the sufficiency that we have in Christ. Father, I thank you that the unbeliever in this room today has heard the hope of their soul. Father, would you, by the power of your Spirit, draw them unto your Son that they might treasure and behold Him and they would repent and put their faith and trust in Him to be saved by grace, not by works. Father, we thank you for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Hallelujah, that we don't have to be good enough. Thank you, God, that our mistakes and our failures are not the end, but you have come to redeem us. Father, thank you that you have given the church, Lord. We want to thank you, God, for faithful pastors and teachers who throughout the years, God, have poured into us through your word and you have used to shape and form our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for faithful deacons who have served So well, God, Father, and model for us humility. And if they don't need the spotlight, but God, are just humble servants of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, God, for congregations and membership. It has taken serious their responsibility to be a part of the local church. And God, they have been involved and given voice to those moments. And each of them, God, each of their unique individual voices has come as a collective whole. No one voice being more important than the other. Lord, we want to say thank you for how you have shaped and designed your church. Father, we pray today that our church here at GBC, today, as Brother Todd and I prayed this morning, maybe 50, 100 years from now, that it would form more and more to the image of Christ. We pray that, Lord that by the power of Your Spirit and the truth of Your Word, You might do that very thing this day. Speak, O Lord, for Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. This morning we're going to stand and sing in response to the gospel that we've heard. I want to encourage you. That's That's a right response to stand and sing. Maybe you need to have a discussion about your spiritual life and where you stand between you and the Lord. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Brother Todd, I would love to talk and pray. I don't know what's going on in your life, but man, I encourage you to be obedient to this blessed gospel.